Well, we're nearing the end of our series. This is the second to last week in the book of Nehemiah, which tells the story of the people of God rebuilding the city of God. Nehemiah is all about building a new Jerusalem. And as we saw back in our study in the book of Revelation, that is precisely what the church is called to do today. With God's help and filled with the Holy Spirit, we are building a new Jerusalem. And so we're turning to the book of Nehemiah in order to learn how to go about doing that. Last week in chapter 10, the people recommitted themselves to the law of God and agreed, and agreed to provide everything necessary for the proper worship of God. And this week, the people dedicate the city of God, and in the process, they reveal for us something of the meaning and purpose of music in the house of God. We'll be spending most of our time in the latter half of chapter 12, but I do want to begin in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Why did they have to cast lots, essentially draw straws, to determine who would live in Jerusalem? Simple answer, really. It's because most people didn't want to. People didn't want to live in Jerusalem. In the days of Nehemiah and throughout the vast majority of human history, owning land is how people generate wealth. In these days, you can make a fortune just living in the city. But that wasn't the case back then. Not only that, but the city was more dangerous. If a foreign army were to pass through the region, they would inevitably attack the city. So living in the city was dangerous, and it meant having less land. Does that sound familiar? Living in the city was dangerous, and it meant having less land. Of course that's familiar. Most of us are dealing with that same tension. Should we stay in the city? It can be more dangerous. The houses are more expensive. The schools are not as good. There's less space for the kids to run around, and so on. What you are feeling... It, there it is not a modern tension. What you are feeling is an ancient tension. For the sake of the kingdom, it's necessary for a certain portion of the people of God to willingly move into the city. And according to verse 2, blessed are you for having done so. Now, let's review where things stand at this point. The walls and gates of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. The law of God has been read to the people. They have feasted and rejoiced. They have fasted and repented. They have recommitted themselves to covenant faithfulness. They have repopulated the city. In short, the, the city has been rebuilt and the citizens have been reformed. And now it's time to dedicate the city to the Lord. Notice they, they did not dedicate the city after the walls were rebuilt. They waited to dedicate the city until after the people were reformed. The walls are important. The walls are essential, even. But it's the people who make the city a holy city. Back in chapter 3, we talked about how it, it wasn't until this return from exile that the city of Jerusalem began to be referred to as a holy city. It wasn't until the days of Nehemiah that the city of Jerusalem began to be referred to as a holy city. 
For centuries, Jerusalem was a city, but now it was a holy city. And the, and the shift in language tells us something very important about this period in the history of God's people. Something fundamental about the city was changing in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and the priests and all of the other people who were building this wall and reforming this people understood that the holiness of God was in some way expanding. The dwelling place of God was in some way expanding. The entire city was becoming a temple for the Lord. And we see this again in chapter 12 as the people hold a dedication ceremony for the wall. Chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. So this dedication ceremony looked a lot like a music festival. Levites are brought to Jerusalem to celebrate with gladness and thanksgivings, singing, cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now, who were the Levites? Like the priests, the Levites were from the tribe of Levi. Um, But to be a priest, you had to be a direct descendant of Aaron, who was the first high priest. If you belonged to the tribe of Levi, but not to the house of Aaron, you were considered a Levite. The Levites served as assistants to the priests. They helped to prepare the sacrifices And they kept the temple clean. They served as gatekeepers and treasurers and administrators. And the Levites were primarily responsible for the music of the temple. And this was a really big deal. This is obscured a bit in in the English, but back in chapter 11, verse 22, singing is referred to as the work of the house of God. A singer is put in charge of the house of God. A singing Levite is put in charge of the house of God because singing is the work of the house of God. That doesn't sound right, does it? Perhaps you've always thought the purpose of music was just to make worship more engaging or more emotional or maybe just to appeal to the artsy people. Music is just what we do in between the important things. We need some way to transition from the sermon to the Lord's Supper, so we might as well have someone play the piano, right? Not at all. In the context of worship, music is not an optional add-on to the real work of the house of God. Music is, in some sense, the work of the house of God. In 1 Samuel 16... A harmful spirit is tormenting King Saul, but whenever David plays the lyre, the harmful spirit is driven away. In 2 Chronicles 20, the Israelite army is on the battlefield, but rather than deploying warriors, they deploy singers. They put a division of singing Levites on the front lines, and as they sing, the Lord wins the battle. These things don't make much sense to us, but but this is the logic of the Bible. Biblically speaking, music is not simply entertaining. Music is not simply inspiring. Music is spiritual warfare. When God's people sing, demons flee, evil is defeated, and the gospel advances. That is what happens when we sing together on Sunday mornings. I know it doesn't look like that. 
I know it doesn't always feel like that. But that's what the Bible tells us is happening. Psalm 22 tells us that God is enthroned upon our praises. His kingship is manifested when we sing. His power and his glory are made known to the world when we sing. And I think Nehemiah understood this. You see, the the rebuilding of Jerusalem was a miraculous thing. Hands down, miraculous. The people had achieved it with the help of God. And it was worth celebrating. However, the city itself was not all that impressive. We actually have a good idea of what the palace of the Persian emperor looked like at this time, and it was far more impressive than the rebuilt Jerusalem. Nehemiah had left a majestic Persian palace to go work in a literal hole in the wall. But at at, at that time, that pile of rubble, that pile of rubble was where God was working to advance his kingdom. So of course Nehemiah would want to be there. When you look around at the world, and, and then you look back at the church, and then you look at the world, and then you look back at the church, the church can sometimes appear insignificant and feeble by comparison. But if the church is where God is working to advance his kingdom, then all bets are off. The God of the Bible delights to advance his kingdom through feeble and insignificant people, places, and things. When the armies are assembled on the battlefield, equipped with the weapons of war, God delights to win the day with a choir. So again, the rebuilt city of Jerusalem was not particularly impressive. Um, During the days of King Solomon, people would travel from all over the world to visit Jerusalem. The city was, the, the, the majesty of the city was an evangelistic tool in that way. But during the days of Nehemiah, the city itself is not what drew the attention of the world. What drew the attention of the rest of the world was the city's music. Jerusalem was the original live music capital of the world. The world was looking to Israel for musical leadership and innovation. Sing us one of the songs of Zion, they say in the Psalms. And this helps us to helps to explain what Nehemiah does next. Verse 31. Nehemiah brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs to give thanks. One went to the south, and then verse 38, the other went to the north. Nehemiah divides the Levites into two choirs, and he positions them on the wall. And he sends them in opposite directions. One choir works clockwise around the city, and the other choir goes counterclockwise around the city. Now, think back to our psalm reading from this morning. Did you catch the connection in Psalm 48? It says, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. Psalm 48 was already hundreds of years old at this time. And so I think it's possible, and perhaps even likely, that Nehemiah orchestrated this whole dedication ceremony in accordance with Psalm 48. And at at minimum, I think it was at least one of the psalms they were singing as they surrounded the city in praise. Verse 43, 
And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The Hebrew word for joy is used five times in that one verse. They rejoiced with great joy. Levites, men, women, children, rejoicing with great joy. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. There was nothing all that impressive about the city, but there was music and joy. And as we see here in verse 43, true joy ought to be an audible joy. The world ought to be able to hear the joy of God's people. So in the name of making our joy audible, I want to leave you with four principles to consider and take to heart. Number one, reforming the church requires reforming her music. Throughout history, when the Holy Spirit reforms the people of God, we see a simultaneous revolution in music. It happened in the days of David, in the days of Nehemiah, in the days of the early church, and most recently, it happened during the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was largely a liturgical reformation. The reformers wanted ordinary people to be able to understand worship and participate in worship. And that commitment unleashed a revolution in church music, which then unleashed a revolution in music, period. So, listen, if, if we as a church try out some new things in the coming years, things that are really, new things that are really ancient things, things like singing psalms, please know that our heart is for your formation and discipleship. Our heart is for the reformation of the church. Everything we want our church to be is ultimately downstream of the character of our worship. The songs we sing and the manner in which we sing them will shape us for better or for worse. Number two, corporate singing advances the kingdom. We saw this earlier, but music is spiritual warfare. When God's people sing, demons flee, evil is defeated, and the gospel advances. This is a matter of faith. Singing doesn't look like warfare, but if if you think about it, singing is just corporate prayer made more beautiful. Corporate prayer glorified into song. And most of us would agree that prayer is spiritual warfare. So yeah, singing is spiritual warfare. Corporate singing advances the kingdom. Number three, teach your children to sing and play instruments. The Levites were an entire tribe of musicians. They had generations and generations of experience. This was a true family tradition. And I'm convinced that we need to be thinking today about the sort of songs our grandchildren will be singing. Perhaps in this very sanctuary. How great would that be? The next generation of the church is going to need modern-day Levites to lead the people of God in corporate singing. If the church is going to be reformed, we need singers. We need skilled musicians. We need poets and composers. And that begins with our children. 
And number four, sing loudly and boldly. Our church doesn't have a choir. You are the choir. Sing like a member of the heavenly host because you are. Sing like a soldier in the army of the Lord because you are. If I, if I could uh, speak to the men specifically, please sing. If you have to, get over yourself and sing. Sing loudly and boldly. Lend a bit of bass to our worship. Singing is a manly thing. If you doubt that, just look at a platoon of Marines running in formation. They are singing and chanting together constantly. And there's a reason for that. Singing unifies us, and singing gives us courage. So give to your children the priceless gift of seeing and hearing their father worship the Lord. Actually, give that gift to all of us. Now, brothers and sisters, men, women, and children, the Lord desires to be enthroned upon our praises. So lift him high. Lift him high upon that throne. On, on the cross, we are told that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and then yielded up his spirit. Jesus cried with a loud voice for you, and then he yielded up his spirit. That word is breath. He yielded up his breath for you. And on Sunday mornings, you cry out with a loud voice for him, and then you yield up your breath, your spirit for him. Let us enthrone him upon our praises loudly and boldly. Let us sing so that our neighbors can hear the joy of Jerusalem. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign God who restores us from exile. And you build the holy city and you populate it with your saints and you restore our joy. You are worthy of our worship. Jesus, you yielded up your breath for us. We yield up our breath for you. You are worthy of our worship. Holy Spirit, you reform us and you shape us. You are the breath with which we sing. May our joy be heard far away. You are worthy of our worship. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.